0: Welcome to the Negotiation and Conflict Management podcast series. I'm glad I know that now. This series is brought to you by the NAC team. NAC, N-A-C, stands for Negotiation and Conflict. NAC is made up of a team of scholars who are passionate about the teaching, research, and practice of negotiation and conflict management and all related topics. We offer you this podcast series to highlight the work of global academic thought leaders who have a knack for negotiating and managing conflict. We hope you enjoy this episode. I am Michael Gross, your podcast host for today. Welcome. Our podcast guests are Mina Andipan from the University of Toronto, Estelle Archibald from Case Western Reserve University, Deborah Kidder from the University of Hartford. Tyler Okimoto from the University of Queensland, Gregory Paul from Kansas State University. Today's guest and podcast is from a panel symposium sponsored by the Conflict Management Division and the Gender and Diversity and Organization Division of the Academy of Management. The symposium took place at the 81st annual meeting. Today's episode is one of a five part series on restorative justice in the workplace. We thank our guests for participating in the panel symposium and joining us. Let's listen in on the symposium as it was recorded live at the conference. Hi everyone, welcome to our symposium panel. Um, This year's Academy theme is bringing the manager back in management. And just pretend there's a closed parenthesis there after the T. And this uh, theme focuses on managers on the front line, middle, executive, organizational, geographic, or the global level, and examining what managers do on a day-to-day basis. The purpose of our panel symposium, and we're glad you're all here, thank you for being here, is to engage a group of panelists, and I'm so glad they're all here too, in a formal, moderated, interactive discussion of restorative justice in concert with this year's theme. and. One of the things that we're going to do to add a little uh, spice is we want to talk about how holding employees, peers, and supervisors to a higher standard of accountability when it comes to restorative justice. So here are our organizers and our sponsors. I'm Michael Gross. I am the co-organizer with Jennifer Parlamas, Laura Reese, and Ming-Hong Tsai, the four of the five of us, that's five of us, four of us organize this together. We'd like to thank our division sponsors, Conflict Management, Gender and Diversity in Organizations uh, for sponsoring and the Academy of Management. Our panelists for this session. So Mina, I may say your name incorrectly, your last name. So just feel free to jump in and correct me. I'm going to say Andiapan, no?
1: Andiapan, uh,
0: but enough. Okay, Andiapan, okay. Meena Andiapan uh, from the University of Toronto. Estelle Archibald from Case Western Reserve University, Deborah Kidder from the University of Hartford, Tyler Okimoto from the University of Queensland, and Gregory Paul from Kansas State University. These are our panelists, and I'm looking forward to hearing from all of them. So, I want to talk about some basics, some basic premises for our conversation today before we get into some specific questions. And these are basic attributes of restorative justice, but each of our panelists are going to give us their take on these sort of basic assumptions. Restorative justice brings together the victim, offender, and the community using facilitated dialogue to emphasize the repair of material, emotional, and relational harm by offending parties. Restorative justice focuses on the well-being of the relevant stakeholders, where the victims are encouraged to express their concerns and offenders are encouraged to make amends. Another attribute of the restorative justice process is the reintegration of offenders into the community where all parties can save face and reconcile absent a sense of embarrassment or retribution as they navigate daily life in the workplace following the offense. So we're going to start off now with our panel. And we're going to have each of our panelists ask what or answer the question. And they'll have about three to five minutes each to talk. What does restorative justice means to you? Nina? can you start us off?
1: Sure. Thank you, Michael. And thank you for putting this panel together as well. Um, So to start us off in terms of what I think restorative justice means to me, the reason I think that restorative justice is such an interesting kind of construct to be studying is because it really focuses on the emotional component of justice. And it considers not just the affective reaction of the victim, um, which is obviously incredibly important, but it also looks at the sort of the affective reaction of the offender as well. And I think, you know, that really ties in well with the theme this year of Academy in terms of looking, putting a greater focus on the role of the manager, the supervisor in the organization, which has been to some extent put a little bit aside um, for the last few years. And so I think, you know, restorative justice really looks at how are these two parties gonna work together um, to restore their relationship. And it requires the person who's the offender in this case to really recognize and take responsibility for the injustice that they've caused or the harm that they've caused it requires the manager to really engage with the victim so it's not just you know simply making an apology or making some sort of amends but it's really thinking about how are we going to repair this relationship how are we going to build and move forward together right um, and i think it also brings into focus the fact that there's a lot of difficult conversations that people have to have
2: in organizations,
1: and particularly when trust or, you know, belief in your relationship is sort of broken, restorative justice puts a large emphasis on figuring out how are we going to prepare that relationship? How are we going to, you know, have those difficult conversations that are just, you know, we know from the literature that people avoid those conversations, right? They're really um, difficult to engage in. Managers oftentimes just don't want to, you know, have that sort of um, put themselves, I would say, to some extent, emotionally, you know, on the line here and making an apology and in seeking forgiveness. And so this really um, puts an emphasis on that. And I think the other thing that's really um, important in restorative justice is the emphasis on forgiveness and moving forward and knowing that the relationship between both of the parties is ongoing. So a lot of times when you look at sort of you know voice or loyalty or exiting the organization, it's not that easy to leave, right? We might recommend that or we might examine that as academics, but the fact is when you're in the workplace, it's not that simple to find another job. And it's not that simple to ask to, you know, move to a different department or have a different manager or, you know, that kind of thing. And a lot of times you have to stay where you are because you have certain, you know, financial or physical or whatever constraints. And so it allows us to focus really on saying, okay, you're in this organization. You probably, you know, whether you like it or not, you're probably going to be there for a few years. And so how do I, you know, work forward in this relationship, and how do I move my, my, um, the the kind of interactions that I have with my manager as a manager? How do I make my interactions with my, you know, subordinate or the person I've offended, as best as they possibly can be? Um, so I think those are sort of the kind of for me the important components of the things that are really compelling about restorative justice.
0: Thank you, and I forgot to mention that Mina is at the Institute of Health Policy, Management, and Evaluation at the Dalai School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. And next, I'd like to introduce Estelle Archibald. She's a PhD candidate in organizational behavior at the Weatherhead School of Management, Case Western Reserve University. Estelle, can you follow up for us?
3: Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, it's great to be here with uh, everyone. Um, I come to restorative justice research as, um, and theorizing as a matter of fact, from a practitioner's perspective, both uh, well, I should say local, national and international practice and restorative justice. So I've seen restorative justice play out in many different types of environments, communities and societies. And one thing that I will say and hold uh, with great primacy is that restorative justice and how it's implemented what it means to different individuals changes based on the context and based on the issues uh, at play. I will say that for me, restorative justice uh, practices, approaches um, revolve around the anvil of belonging. Um, So the success of any restorative justice practice or approach in an organization or in a community really depends on Um, that communities and those stakeholders, that group of stakeholders ability to repair and recreate belonging uh, connection, relational bonds among individuals that are involved in any incident um, or occurrence, uh, whether it is perceived uh, unilaterally by all stakeholders as positive or negative or some mix in between, because we all have our own experiences, our own lived experiences of not only the conflict or the situation or experience that we're having in the moment, but also the way that we even approach building relationships uh, with other people. Um, The last thing that I will say is that, um, just to echo some of what Nina said and connected to some of my own insights is that, Forgiveness is uh, implicated in restorative justice practices. Um, One thing that I would caution with regard to enactments of restorative justice is not to confuse a few terms together, such as forgiveness, reconciliation, and restorative justice. So when we think about restorative justice, um, it is my hope that we're thinking about um, an approach to reconciling differences or harms or conflict in environments um, and in organizations and communities. Um, And all of those different um, phases or um, experiences during the repair process are part of a bigger set of systems that work together to support healing and Um, to repair harm or wrongdoing. All right, thank you.
0: Uh, Deb, I'd like you to take the baton from here. Deb is at the Barney School of Business at the University of Hartford.
2: Yes, so um, I'm gonna approach this by first talking about how I got interested in restorative justice. And I have Michael to thank for that because Michael is the one who um, got me interested in becoming a professionally trained mediator. And so I, and I've done multiple training programs. I've done typical 40-hour facilitative directive. I've done the U.S. Post Office's transformational mediation, community conferencing, power mediation up at University of Massachusetts Amherst. And one of the things that struck me, and I've been a volunteer mediator for um, several years, but one of the things that really interested me about this was that in many of the training programs the idea is to encourage mediators to be teachers to teach the people who are participating in the mediation how not just to resolve the conflict they're in now but to go forward and be more effective in dealing in a conflict situation and so when I um, discovered the area of restorative justice My approach, and that's what I'm bringing to this panel, is to talk about it in terms of how we teach about it in our classes or while we're mediators. And when I think about restorative justice, everything that Mina and Estelle have already said are absolutely important things, but the way I approach it in class is to think about it, really focusing on helping students find a different way to address conflict, a different way to focus on Dysfunctional teamwork or um, organizations that have had trust um, eroded away. Um, because often, you know, when you have a conflict situation, there is harm on multiple sides. So you have a victim, an offender, but then the offender may also harm the victim. So for me, I like um, taking the concept of restorative justice in terms of the philosophy, the philosophy being. Instead of um, retributive justice, instead of um, simply having some kind of legal system, that the philosophy is working together, understanding, you know, learning how to do perspective taking, learning self-regulation, learning the power of apologies, um, under you know, creating a forgiveness climate, and bringing that into the classroom to show. Um, to, to get students to think in the new ways about conflict and the new ways about um, putting the victim in the center or the person who was harmed um, in the center and thinking about how to improve that. So using equity theory to say, instead of just punishment, punishment, um, restore the, the um, person who was harmed. Um, so from my perspective, what R.J. Serve sort of Justice means to me is a philosophy of a different way to teach how students how to address and approach conflict in the workplace. And there are so many. We can talk about this if you want, but there are so many different ways we can do that in the classroom, from having you know case discussions, having um, talking about discussions about you know does is from an ethical perspective. If somebody apologizes, is that enough? Is that anything? You know, So there are lots of details I could get into, but for me, reserve justice is um, a way to help students start thinking differently about repairing harm, rebuilding trust, um, repairing damaged relationships and thinking about conflict.
0: All right, thanks Deb. Tyler? Tyler will be speaking next. He's at the business school at the University of Queensland. Go for it.
4: Thanks, Michael. Um, so so I, I guess we're starting with our, our providence and our, our interest in the, in the topic. Um, just like Deb, um, you know, it's actually both Michael and Deb that got me really interested in this topic probably over 15 years ago. Um, and that's and really been a kind of a core focus in all the research that I've, I've done since. And so, so, you know, thank you to both of you for, for inspiring, and, and hopefully, this sort of forum allows us to inspire uh, some new generation of researchers. So, I also take a bit of a philosophical understanding of restorative justice, um, but one that has a bit of a social psychological spin to it, uh, given that that's my kind of core disciplinary background um i tend to think of it from uh a, as a different understanding of what justice actually means um uh, i mean we have the traditional understanding of justice as, as Deb was talking about of of punitiveness um and in practice that means investigation a uh, unilateral decision making about what's appropriate to resolve the situation and uh, unilateral imposition of that decision restorative justice to me on the other hand is 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 really thinking about justice as this thing that's owned by all of those that are involved, um, owned not just by the manager who's responsible for resolving it uh, because it's their job, um, but also uh, owned by the victim, the offender, and really the other employees that that are affected by whatever's going on in that particular conflict. Um, And, you know, I also really like what you were saying, Estelle, you know, about the importance of uh, what I like to talk about is the importance of identity. Uh, what's really important in a restorative conversation is to really come to that shared understanding of, of what's really been harmed by the offense in terms of, uh, in terms of your identity as, as a group or an organization or your identity in that relationship. Um, and that's both in terms of the values that have been threatened by whatever has happened, uh, as well as in terms of one sense of belongingness, uh, one sense of inclusion. Uh, And it's really that identity piece, both in terms of content and belongingness, that I think are the kind of psychological underpinnings of what it is that that we're trying to achieve uh, when we say that we're trying to seek a restorative sense of justice. All right. Thank you. Gregory, wrap us up with this question. Uh, What does restorative justice
5: mean to you? Thank you. Um, And I'll also say that even though we've never met, uh, Deb was actually my entry point into restorative justice, or one of them, because I was doing research on forgiveness in the workplace. And I came across the not rights, but the right way to manage conflict at work. I think that was the title of the piece. And a light bulb went off, and I thought, oh, this is the framework that I've been looking for to talk about this practice of forgiveness and the different ways that we do forgiveness in in the workplace. And so, uh, Deb, your writing, Tyler, uh, your writing as well, uh, have been influential in the ways that uh, that I've thought about and practiced uh, restorative justice. uh, Because uh, not only do I uh, practice mediation, but I'm also trained at doing victim offender conferencing uh, and uh, did training for a number of facilitators when I lived up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, And that was uh, really uh, influential uh, and uh, and life-giving to me. It also really shaped the way I think about restorative justice in uh, thinking about it as a collection of principles, uh, a collection of practices, and um, essentially as as a structure or a way to look at how all of these things kind of hang together. Uh, And they've informed... Uh, not only how i manage conflict and, and how i you know how i teach students about conflict but also how i approach just my own work um, in a managerial role. Uh, so I, I think about the importance of values like learning and growth, support, engagement, belonging, safety and empowerment all of those uh, to me are key elements of, restorative justice and our principles or values. They they, they form this uh, ideological basis of restorative justice that separates this approach or this framework of justice from other uh, other frameworks or, or other approaches. And these, uh, this ideological basis then forms or informs how we go about practicing it and informs why we apologize, how we apologize, why we value apology in the first place. It informs how we understand whether or not forgiveness is necessary or expected, uh, even how we understand the relationship between forgiveness and reconciliation, which we touched on earlier. And that relationship, um, can be problematized whether we're looking at it from the Western perspective or we're looking at it from uh, from other types of perspectives, e- uh, Eastern perspectives and, and others. Um, and I also think about restorative justice from more of a systemic or structural perspective, uh, that, it's, um, that we don't wanna boil restorative justice down to only a dialogue or only a deliberative encounter. We understand justice as something that, that's made right, is something that emerges through the way that all the stakeholders, whether it's the harm doer, whether it's the person harmed, their supporters, all those people bring their own experiences, their own values, their own hurts, their own needs to the table. And those uh, things shape the way that they communicate with one another, the way they make sense out of the harm, the way they make make sense out of their identities. Um, And so uh, Tyler, just as you're talking about justice is owned i often think about justice as being made right and that you can't separate the making of justice from the structures uh, and systems uh, that shape the way that that we communicate with one another. Uh, and so i'm i'm really drawn to these systems level thinking about restorative justice and i think that's that's part of what makes this, Uh, conversation about restorative justice in workplace settings uh, so interesting uh, is because we're talking about these emergent practices that are tied in with cultures and values and beliefs. Um, And so things that we can be keeping in mind as as we talk about how and why we do restorative justice. Thank you very much and thank all of you.
0: So I I think in answering that question, we've really sort of put the lay of the land out. And so for our audience, in case you haven't uh, already guessed, these are all experts. Our panelists are all experts in restorative justice, conflict, diversity, equity and inclusion, and leadership. And we're going to now go into more depth into specific contexts. Um, our panelists are gonna draw on a wide range of relevant research and practice based based on their experiences in the field of restorative justice, applied to contexts of artificial intelligence, social and economic disparities in the workplace, how we teach HR in our business schools, how we can provoke a new wave of research on restorative justice as the managerial practice, and the factors that may influence organizational rightness for restorative justice, informing managers and leaders. What we learned from our podcast guests across all parts of this five-episode series is what is restorative justice in part one? As our series name states, I'm glad I know that now, once more, I'm Michael Gross, and on behalf of all of us, we thank our guests, Mina Andiapan, Estelle Archibald, Deborah Kidder, Tyler Okamoto, and Gregory Paul. Thank you for being with us today. On behalf of our NAC team, Deborah Sai, Michael Gross, that's me, Jennifer Parlamas, Laura Reese, and Ming Hong Tsai, we thank you for listening. For more information about this and every episode, You can check out the podcast notes on the NAC website at www.negotiationandconflictmanagementteam.com. Negotiation and Conflict Management Team is one word. There you can find additional sources and links to materials cited in each episode. Please tell a friend about our podcast, and we hope you'll join us next time for another fascinating discussion about a topic you'll be glad to know about.